The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every uh, every week, uh, that I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, uh, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can go to uh, subscribe to both of those letters by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, for both Chen Lin's and my newsletter. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to uh, encourage you to continue sending along your, uh, your compliments, complaints, uh, comments, what have you, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Uh, and I'd like to also invite you to follow me on Twitter, uh, jtaylormedia is my handle there. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week are Novo Resources, a Copper Bank Resources Corp., and Kalinex Mines, Inc. I've titled today's show, How a Fiat Dollar Destroys Your Wealth. Glenn Downs, Michael Oliver, and Brooke McDonald return as guests today. Back in 1971, which I'm old enough to remember uh, very clearly, Back on August 15, 1971, in fact, Richard Nixon told the nation that he was temporarily detaching the dollar from gold. Well, here we are 44 years later, and gold has still been detached from the dollar, not by the choice of markets, but by the choice of governments for sure. Nixon removed gold from the dollar in 1971 so that the U.S. could wage war and fund socialism without the American people thinking that they had to pay for either. In other words, Nixon and all presidents since him have really loved the detachment of gold from the dollar because it has meant that they can lie more effectively to the American people in exchange for their votes. They can give things away and the American people think they're not paying for them. Without gold attached to the U.S. dollar, the U.S. has, with the aid of its military, been able to create trillions upon trillions of dollars out of nothing and use those dollars not only to pay for welfare within the United States, but to enrich the military-industrial complex as it wages war and redraws the map around the world to ensure 
the U.S. continues to control the oil markets so that it can require the dollar to be paid uh, in, uh, that oil be paid for in dollars, thereby putting a bid under the dollar. Um, this big lie that's told to the American people uh, and the policies that are being implemented by our governments uh, are now leading to massive poverty and the destruction of the middle class. And while most Americans are ignorant of these facts, the Chinese, Russians, and Indians are not unaware of the systemic theft by a deceitful dollar that has virtually no intrinsic value and would quickly sink toward zero if it were not for the military force of the U.S. Uh, that requires the dollar to be used uh, for purchases of oil. Indeed, the Chinese, Russians, and Indians are building up their gold reserves even as Keynes' indoctrinated Western economists willingly allow gold to flow from west to east to leave the coffers of the Western world, especially the United States, and move towards China, India, and Russia. And so now there is growing competition, though, from those countries that are unwilling to, uh, to accept dollars. These are nations that are looking to develop competition against the Anglo-American monetary system, the post-World War II Bretton Woods system, uh, and uh, its, uh, uh, its aftermath, uh, which is anything but Bretton Woods, what we have now. As long as the con game goes on, uh, such that the Western people believe the big lie, and as long as the dollar is backed by petroleum, the existing game can go on. But as with all lies, eventually, they are recognized as, dis- uh, as the distortions that are caused by those lies uh, cause people to recognize reality. Now, that day of reckoning, I believe, is close at hand. Uh, and what I think that means is that uh, it's going to make some major changes in the lives of those of us living in the West. When the big lie is recognized by the masses, I believe the price of gold will rise to untold thousands of dollars when measured in U.S. dollars because gold is eternal wealth that cannot be inflated away, but the dollar, on the other hand, has virtually no intrinsic value. So, of course, I keep an eye on the price of gold daily uh, and weekly and longer term as well. And to help us do that today, Michael Oliver will be with me in just a couple of seconds uh, to talk about his latest views from a structural momentum perspective that he uh, hands out to his uh, subscribers. And then about half past the hour, Glenn Downs, who serves as Chief of Staff for Congressman Walter Jones of North Carolina, but will be with me to discuss some very important economic and geopolitical matters having very much to do with the issues of the petrodollar and all that it may mean for gold. And in just a few minutes after our first commercial break, I will be talking to Brooke McDonald. He's the President and CEO of Cornerstone Capital, as well as his Vice President of Explorations, Yvonne Crepo. Uh, he will also be joining me to help us get a sense of that company's extraordinary copper gold discovery, a major uh, porphyry discovery in Ecuador, and what that might mean for shareholders. But now, let me turn to Michael Oliver, whose work I have really grown to uh, to appreciate, I've been become very attached to it because I've found on an ongoing basis, Michael's structural momentum work really helps me have a very good sense uh, on some of the major markets that I'm most interested in, in which direction they're heading. So uh, welcome, Michael. I'm glad that you could join me again today. I'm glad to be back. Uh, let's talk about the stock market to start with. Uh, in your March 14th missive, you noted uh, every market has trends within trends near intermediate, and long-term, and those trends are not always in agreement, but when they align is usually when the more meaningful movements unfold. Are you seeing any alignments now, Michael, that might hint at some kind of major move in the equity markets? See, 
major uh, thing I'm looking for right now, first, in my opinion, the annual momentum of the S&P, which is, let's call it, the largest scale that I measure. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it turned negative in a transitional process from October through January of this year. Uh, and therefore, I think that the long-term trend is topped. I think the only issue now is the icing on the cake, and that means the little stuff and the intermediate stuff. In other words, the, the swings that last two, three weeks, and the swings that last several months. The, my main focus right now is on what I call monthly momentum or intermediate momentum, and frankly, we have not broken it. Uh, we teased it, got within oh, 20 points on the S&P of numbers that would have, I think, broken it uh, at, at this point in time, and they avoided it. Uh, we're caught. Really, we're not in an uptrend as such. We're really caught in a sideways clump of ink, but we have not broken enough uh, factors, intermediate factors, to the downside for me to be able to say, okay, now intermediate is negative. I think when intermediate turns negative, it will join the long term, and you will get, you will then see uh, unleashing. Uh, but that's a, it's a complicated cobweb up here. And frankly, I feel sorry for both sides. If you, if you stand back and look at an S&P chart since, let's say, last September, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a meat market. <laughs> it's not trending. <laughs> Uh, is you know every three weeks one side's a winner and the next three weeks the other side's a winner and nobody's a winner it's just it's just stating up here for something and I think that's down uh, uh, but I have not hit intermediate trigger numbers this month I need to see something like 2020 on the S&P our recent low is tw- uh, 2039 uh, uh, next month it's going to jump up uh, so in a few weeks uh, if the market's loitering around uh, let's say you know 2040 2050. Uh, could be in trouble. Uh, I have to get more precise as we get to the end of the month. But so that's what I'm looking at. It's the intermediate factors right now. So you're basically standing aside right now because there's no clear trend. Uh, but your sense is that the next major trend is likely to be downward. I, I guess. I think that if you're an investor, you know, a long only, you should be lightening up aggressively. If mm-hmm. you're uh, uh, oriented to going both ways, uh, in other words, if you perceive a bear and want to be short, I think you might have a light short position on, but nothing aggressive because this is uh, it's a mental tor- turmoil up here for both sides. Yeah. And there's no sense uh, pulling all your triggers uh, at, the, at the present time. Um, mm-hmm. I think there'll be op- optimal points on the way down, not far from here. Uh, and I think the down move that follows, uh, if these triggers are hit on the intermediate basis, it's going to be sizable enough where it really won't matter whether you got short at 2080, 2070, 2050, 2020, whatever, on the yeah. S&P. Uh, in hindsight, it really won't matter that much. So if, if you're bearish, don't be too bearish too quickly. Uh, relax. Okay. Take a breath. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, I might listen to do. I might listen to you on that score. I, I certainly have uh, been bearish, but uh, uh, and chafing at the bit to make money on that side of the market. But at the same time, you can get chewed up and spit out in this meat grinder, as you call it. Well, let's talk about gold just for a second. You had some very interesting comments also on the fourteenth of March about gold and commodities and how they relate to each other. Would you care to talk about that and then perhaps give us a brief, briefly give us your perspective of gold right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm very keen on, on a thought. I'll, I'll throw them out there uh, to your listeners. Uh, it's 1977. Uh, gold bottomed in 76, basically, but the, the main issue is the relationship of gold as, on a percentage basis or a spread basis. Uh, to the Commodity Research Bureau Index, CRB Index, back then. Mm -hmm. I now use the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which recently bought out the Dow Jones UBS Index, but it's a good index of commodity basket. Uh, Gold, in relation to that basket of commodities, turned positive performer about a year ago. Uh, went from about nine times the price of the Bloomberg Commodity Index to about 12 times the 
price of the Bloomberg. That's a decent move. It's three points. It's a 30% move on a sure. spread basis. Now, during that time, gold really didn't go up much. It more or less went sideways. Uh, after all, we were in the 1180s in the summer of 2013, and we were 1140-something today, so we've hardly moved much. But the Bloomberg Commodity Index has dropped dramatically. Gold has not. Now, that spread relationship in between 76 and 77, remember, those are post-recessionary years. The world uh-huh. economy was not in good shape, and yet commodities produced a massive bull market between 77 and 1980. Uh, what happened was the monetary flows that the central banks had created, which were much less than they've done this time around, mm-hmm. were diverted by investors from equities into commodities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that juxtaposition could be on the cusp here right now, where uh, commodities can, uh, in the coming few months or weeks even, uh, be perceived by investors as cheap, a value play, etc. And if you rattle the stock market at these levels, I think there's a lot of people to be ready to make an asset reallocation from equity positions to commodity-type positions. Right. And I right. think that's about to occur, and I think the first big clue of that is the spread relationship between gold and the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which has gone positive. And again, back in 77, when the Commodity Index turned up, gold had already turned up a year prior on a spread basis. And I think we're getting that same clue this time. Why does gold turn first or cease going down first? Uh, I think it's more monetarily sensitive. Sure. I think it's sent, and it's ready to take the baton away from equities. And I think it wouldn't uh, surprise me soon that when oil makes a final low, <clears throat> which probably isn't far away in terms of uh, time anyway, mm-hmm. uh, that this process, uh, oil is a laggard in this process. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's focused on deflation. But in fact, commodities have been coming down for several years. Yes, the indeed. The reason they notice it now is oil has joined in. Uh, but I think it really is a, a laggard and not, not a prime focus. But uh, anyway, what I'm arguing for is an asset reallocation probably in the making here. Oh, very interesting. Well, it, it certainly is, uh, it certainly is interesting. It makes sense. You know, you, uh, you are first and foremost a technical analyst, but you have a great understanding from an Austrian perspective of, of markets and economics. Uh, but I really like what you do, Michael, in that you, uh, you first let the markets do the talking, uh, and realizing that the collective wisdom of markets is, uh, is is greater than even uh, your extensive wisdom, no doubt about, no no doubt about it. And wise market per, uh, participants uh, understand that and have a reverence for the markets, which you certainly do. So I want to thank you again for passing on those insights. Very interesting, as always. Thank you, Michael, for being with us thank again you, today. Bye. Well, folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to go to a commercial break. But when we come back, I'm going to be talking to Brooke McDonald. He's the president uh, and CEO. Uh, of a very interesting company, Cornerstone Capital, and uh, Yvonne Crapo, his uh, geologist, will be with us to talk about a very interesting and I think very significant uh, copper-gold deposit that is being outlined in Ecuador. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per tonne. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again, Brooke McDonald, and also happy to have me uh, have join Brooke, also uh, his chief geologist, uh, Yvonne Kripu. Uh Cornerstone Capital is the company in question here. It trades in Canada under the symbol CGP, uh, and you can buy it in the United States under the symbol CTNXF. Welcome, uh, Brooke, and uh, welcome also, Yvonne. Thanks, Jay. It's good to be back on the show. Good to have both of you with me today. We want to talk to Brooke first about the corporate, uh, the bigger corporate picture. Brooke, you know, for the benefit of those listening who may not have heard you on the show before or may not be familiar with Cornerstone Capital, can you talk a little bit about your company's business model and where you are conducting your business and uh, perhaps the progress that you've made to date? Sure. Uh, for for people that don't know the uh, the story, uh, Cornerstone is a prospect generator. Following the joint venture model, we try and uh, uh, identify uh, good prospects, spend a year to 18 months on them uh, doing geological, geophysical, geochemical work to identify coincident anomalies and drill targets. And then we look for a partner with deeper pockets to fund the drilling, which is expensive and Take the, and we retain a minority interest. And that way we try and uh, spend other people's money to the extent possible to minimize dilution by issuing shares uh, to do the drilling, which is quite expensive. Um, we're focused on finding gold, silver, and copper deposits in Ecuador and Chile uh, at our Cascabel joint venture in northern Ecuador, which is funded by our partner, Australian AIM-listed Salgold PLC, a whole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, creating over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. That was clearly a discovery 
whole of what we believe is a world-class uh, gold-enriched copper porphyry uh, deposit that Yvonne will speak to uh, a little later in the interview. Uh, Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through the completion of a bankable feasibility study in that project. Well, it uh, certainly is a very exciting project, and I'm looking forward to what uh, Yvonne has to say about it. Um, you, you had a very interesting time up in uh, uh, up in Toronto on March 1st. You had uh, something called the Ecuador Day. Uh, talk to us about what was the Ecuador Day all about. Uh, un- unfortunately, I missed uh, the events, and I want to thank you for inviting me to go there. I just I just didn't get there. You know how the PDAC is such a busy place. Uh, it wasn't that it wasn't. You know, it was high up on my list of things to do. It's just I was just overwhelmed. But talk to us a little bit about Ecuador Day and what that was all about. Sure, Jay. Uh, uh, you know, for the listeners, usually we talk mainly about the projects and the drill results, but I want to speak briefly about Ecuador Day and about some recent tax changes in Ecuador because uh, uh, I think it's really important uh, for people that have been following Ecuador. Um, this is the first year that Ecuador was one of the country sponsors of uh, PDAC, uh, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada's annual convention in Toronto the first week of March. This is the largest mining show in the world, uh, something over 25,000 attendees. Um, Ecuador Day was uh, held on Monday, March 1st. It was really well attended, standing room only for much of the day. The morning began with an introduction by the new Ecuadorian ambassador to Canada, Nicolas Trujillo. Uh, Then they featured a video on all the power plants, ports, highways, and other infrastructure development going on in the country. And that was followed by speeches by the Minister of Strategic Sectors, uh, Rafael Poveda, and uh, the new Minister of Mines, Javier Cordova. Uh, Rafael Poveda holds the third most powerful position in the executive branch after President Rafael Correa, and Vice President Jorge Glass. Uh, and Javier Cordova is the first minister of the newly created Ministry of Mines, which was created just uh, about a month and a half ago. It was kind of, they separated natural resources into um, energy, petroleum, natural gas, and uh, a new Ministry of Mines to give uh, the mining sector equal weight with petroleum mm-hmm. uh, to show investors that they really are serious about uh, developing mining. Then there were some roundtables with companies and government officials, and in the afternoon, only three companies uh, presented, uh, Lundin Gold. Uh, Lucas Lundin uh, made the presentation himself uh, about uh, their acquisition of the Fruta del Norte gold deposit there that they acquired from Kinross uh, for something like 250 or $60 million. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they got a very good price, and... Um, they believe uh, very strongly that Ecuador is turning around and that they're going to have a first mover advantage. And then Cornerstone presented, and then our, our partner, Sol Gold, gave a detailed presentation on the Cascavel project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think in general most of the attendees came away from the show uh, or from, from Ecuador Day with the impression that Ecuador is going in the right direction and is open for business again. Um, well, well, I would just certainly interject that uh, if, uh, if Lundin is uh, getting in there, he's nobody's fool. Uh, and uh, you know he's 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 known to be a bottom fisher, a guy who's able to go in and and buy value. So if he's if he's putting his money into uh, into Ecuador, I think that's a very good sign. Yeah, and Jay, he's, he also said he's not really uh, uh, overly concerned with the country risk. Uh, he said he's been in much more difficult places like uh, the Democratic 
Republic of the Congo. Yeah, I guess uh, so. And they've made it, and they've made it work. And he sees Ecuador as people they can work with, and that things are really turning in the right direction. Okay, so Ecuador though has had a reputation in recent years of not being the the greatest place to go, and uh, there. But I think I hear you saying there's probably some changes going on that to attract capital into the mining industry, and one of which is uh, taxes. I believe you were saying that, that's correct, Jay. And uh, um, last May, uh, well, let me step back. The government in early. Uh, 2014 or the end of 2013 uh, retained Wood McKenzie, the international consulting firm, to advise them on how to make Ecuador more competitive in the uh, um, to direct foreign investment in the mining sector. Mm-hmm. They compared Ecuador with a comparator group of five countries in the region that have been successful in attracting investment in the mining sector: uh, Chile, Peru, Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil. And then they showed them where they fell short, and they uh, gave them a detailed plan of action on how, what changes to make in order to uh, make the country more competitive. Uh, there have been two tax provisions in Ecuador that have caused a lot of concern among mining companies. One, uh, the sovereign adjustment, or the principle enshrined in the Constitution that the state's cumulative economic benefits in a natural resource project not drop below 50% of the total, and two, the 70% windfall profits tax that investors have argued could take away the upside from shareholders who take big risks in investing, investing in these uh, mining projects, especially sure. in countries. Um, last October, on the advice of Wood McKenzie, um, the government amended the regulations to change the calculation of both the sovereign adjustment and the metal price at which the windfall profits tax kicks in. Both will now apply only after my mine payback from a financial perspective, meaning mm-hmm. after payback plus adjustments for compounded inflation and opportunity costs. Think of it like the NPV of past investment dollars as opposed to future cash flows uh, discounted back to an NPV. Uh, mm-hmm. This means that neither the sovereign adjustment nor the windfall profits tax will be an issue for miners until following an extended period after commercial production begins. So clearly the government has taken the teeth out of these two provisions. Okay, so that that's very, very important. I think uh, something to keep in mind certainly is looking at uh, investments in Ecuador. I'm wondering now, Brooke, if you might just introduce uh, Yvonne uh, to us and, and let Yvonne talk a little bit about the Cascabal project, which is really, I think, looking very, very spectacular. I will. I'll just say uh, two, two final points on, on the taxes. Uh, uh, the government has also introduced in December uh, tax stability agreements for the life of the mine project. Uh, uh, people may be familiar with the Decree Law 600 that, that really helped uh, foreign investment come into the mining sector uh, about 20 years ago in Chile. Uh, this should be something like that. And another tax reform that is in the works is accelerated depreciation for the mining oh. companies. Uh, we've been told that that is a done deal, and the only thing that has to be finalized is the list of items that qualify so they can embed it in the custom system. Uh, so yes, I'd like to uh, introduce uh, our vice president of exploration and our country manager in Ecuador. Uh, he's been, been in Ecuador since uh, 2006, uh, almost as long as the company. Um, Ivan, would you please give the listeners an update on the Casco project, and if there's time on the other two projects uh, that we've done work on recently, Canya Brava in Ecuador and uh, Miocene in Chile. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brooke, for the introduction. Okay. Hello, Jay. Okay, I'm going to yeah. go. Okay. I will review, okay, uh, where we are standing okay, with the Cascabel project. Okay, as uh, mentioned earlier by Brooke, okay, uh, this project, which, uh, which started uh, from scratch in 2012, okay, this project delivered some outstanding results so far. Okay. Hole number five, is considered to be the discovery hole, okay, but every hole okay, drill on the project was currently drilling hole number 10, okay. Every hole intersected very significant myization. It's a very good sign. Okay, some examples. Hole number one, first hole, okay, 200 meters at 0.7% uh, okay, copper equivalent. Hole number five, 1.3 kilometers, okay, at roughly 1% copper equivalent. Hole seven, eight, nine, eight, uh, seven and eight, roughly one kilometer at between 0.5 and 0.7% copper equivalent, okay? Hole number nine, that's been, that the results have been released uh, some time ago, 1,300 meters at 1.06% copper equivalent. This is really outstanding, okay? Uh, we are currently drilling hole number 10, okay? This hole is at a depth of uh, 902 meters, okay, as um, per yesterday. Uh, Sol Gold announced a few days ago, okay, that the upper high-grade zone has been intersected, okay, about 85 meters with strong copper sulfide mineralization. No IC results yet, okay. The lower grade, the lower high-grade zone is expected to be intercepted at a depth of about 1,200 meters to down to 17 or 1,800 meters. Um, at PDAC, okay, uh, Sol Gold announced that it will increase drilling rates okay, and results flow, including a, res a resource statement in the next 12 to 15 months uh, with some uh, preliminary scoping of economic parameters and engineering work okay, starting in 2015, this year. But we're drilling okay, the Alpala target area. This is the most, uh, the most advanced target, okay, but, uh, you know, have to consider there's another four to five targets that still are virgin, okay, that mm. have been drilled. Wow. These ones, okay, will be, will, will be drilled, okay, later on this year or next year. Uh, last word about Cascabel. Uh, what I want to say is Cascabel is an excellent example, okay, of Cornerstone business model and also the, its capability, okay, to deliver the goods in Ecuador, okay. We started from almost nothing, uh, you know, and made a discovery in you know, in in 17 months, middle of nowhere. Okay, this I believe this is something. Okay, and there are still a lot more to be found. Okay, to be discovered in Ecuador. It's about it. Okay, regarding our Cascabel project. Okay, Yvonne, if I might just ask one quick question. Uh, when you talk about copper equivalents, uh, there is a significant gold credit there, though, too, isn't there? Can you give us a sense of what the percentage of those, just in general, uh, a, a range of what? the importance of gold is in that uh, copper equivalent numbers that you were quoting okay. in terms okay in terms of value okay uh, about uh, of economic value in intersection about 65 to 70% of the value or the total value is for copper and there's a 30 35% okay uh, of the value comes from from gold Okay. Ratio gold to copper on the project is about one to one. One percent copper. When you get one percent copper, you get one gram per ton gold. This is very significant. Uh -huh. This is not something you can find in in uh, a lot that's, of countries. That's remarkable, and I'm really looking forward to that resource because I think there's going to be some pretty big numbers there. Yeah, potentially is something for something uh, something very big. Okay, and something that 
that should be high grade as well. Hmm? Right, right. Yeah, and and for a company whose uh, whose market uh, this market cap is very low, I think our listeners should really pay attention to Cornerstone. But talk we, with a couple of minutes we have left here yet. Uh, talk about a couple of your other properties you started to talk about. Uh, you have a couple of other gold targets, I think, in Ecuador, perhaps at the southern end of the country. Yes, in the Loja province, in the south central part of the country. There's a project called Caña Brava. Okay. Uh, we release the exploration results okay, uh, on this 100% owned project on February 26th, a few weeks ago. Uh, the work we, we did at the end of last year and earlier this year, okay, we were able to outline two very significant okay, porphyry gold copper targets. Uh, this is outlined okay, by coincident geological, geochemical, and geophysical anomalies. Of course, this is not a guarantee okay, that there is an ore body at Kenya Brava, okay, but certainly okay, it tells you that uh, our chance to find ones are enhanced. Okay? There's a very perfect fit okay, with geology, geochem, and geophysics. There's also, on top of the, uh, this porphyry or these porphyries, okay, there's a gold, silver, uh, rich epidermal system that lie on top of that. Never has been drilled. Okay. We're currently okay, doing uh, train, a trenching program. should be able to define some drill targets uh, next uh, couple of months. Okay. And we're looking for a partner to, to join efforts okay, to drill this highly prospective uh, property uh, you know, in the second half of this year. This is for the, uh, the Kenya, Brava, Kenya Brava project that we have in Ecuador. The other one is the Miocene project. This one is located in Chile, in region 2 and 3 of Chile. We carried out okay, some uh, extensive field work on this property late last year. Uh, we are currently uh, compiling uh, uh, analyzing okay, the data. Uh, we should get the news release out next, uh, next few weeks. Okay. Um, <clears throat> We, we, on, on this project, uh, Cornerstone controls approximately 16,000 uh, hectares of really prospective land. This is right on strike, okay, with significant uh, mineralized prospect discovered by our neighbor, Marisol Resources. Uh, we have to say, Marisol did very good work, okay, the last couple of years, and they were able to, uh, to do, okay, some trenching, some drilling, and did outline very significant prospect. I don't know exactly what are their plans, okay, surely they wanted the, uh, they're looking for partners as well, okay, but, uh, they have to have some drilling done, and there's some more drilling, okay, plan, okay, for, for this company. We're, our machine project is located with, on the same, same trend, okay, same geology, same structural corridor, extensive epidermal alteration zones at surface. Next step for Cornerstone, doing some field work, some ground geophysics, some, some trenching, and then, okay, some drilling. Uh, again, this project is the result, okay, of our generative program, and selecting prospective areas within underexplored regions carrying out some regional low-cost prospecting work and discovering new prospects, which will be explored and can develop with uh, high-quality partners. Okay. This is when okay, we combine what we, we call complementary skills. Okay. Our skills are okay, to, start from, to start from scratch, okay, explore, and uh, when we get something uh, of interest, attract a partner that will, that will uh, finance the final part of the, of the program trenching and drilling, okay? Yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's very good. I'd like to ask you or, or perhaps Brooke with, the, with the, the final seconds here of today's show, uh, are there any prospects for a couple of these other targets that you've identified or are you still going to do more work before you seek uh, joint venture partners on them? 
We've, we've been talking to uh, a number of companies about uh, about uh, about the prospects in, in, in Ecuador, uh, and and we have also spoken about the the prospects in Chile, Miocene. Uh, in the prospects in Ecuador, I think there are many companies that really like the rocks and they were waiting to see whether the government is, is going to come around and make some of these changes. So I think that we're going to get more interest in the coming months on these projects. Good, excellent. Well, certainly a, a better mining uh, environment, a better gold environment would help too, I'm sure. Well, I want to thank you both. Were, uh, anything else, real quickly, Ed, anything else you'd like to add, Brooke or, or Yvonne? No, um, no, that's it. Uh, I'll okay. just say that uh, Ecuador is, uh, also has lower power and labor costs, a better power grid, and highway infrastructure, and abundant water, which are some of the okay, things so, that... Okay, so the country's open for business. Uh, the country's yep. open for business is what I hear you saying. Uh, it hasn't been so much so, so that should mean that the early bird gets the worm, as they say. The, con- the, country, the companies that are in there early... Uh, Ecuador certainly being one of uh, uh, Cornerstone certainly being one of them should be in, in a great position and, and what I think is outstanding as Yvonne you were mentioning didn't take you guys long to find what looks like a very major deposit so congratulations on that so we'll look forward to, to keeping up with you guys thank you very much uh, for your time you, and Jay. for sharing uh, your thank insights you, with us today thank you very much okay. well folks don't go away we're going to come back after the break we have a commercial break now Glenn Downs he's the chief of staff of US Congressman Walter Jones will be with us to talk about geopolitics gold uh, what have you things that are very much in the news right now and are driving the market so don't go away we'll be right back with Glenn Downs business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kalinex is a junior with major near-term catalysts. This tightly held company is advancing its projects containing copper, zinc, gold, and silver in Manitoba, Canada. Kalinex's projects are within 10 miles to Hud Bay's mine that has less than five years of ore. Kalinex has high-grade deposits and new targets with exciting discovery potential, with drill results anticipated shortly. Now is the time to learn more about Kalinex by visiting Kalinex.ca. That's C-A-L-L-I-N-E-X dot C-A. Kalinex is publicly traded under the symbols CNX in Canada and CLLXF in the U.S. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Glenn Downs. He's the Chief of Staff to U.S. Congressman Walter Jones. Uh, Glenn's entire bio is at the Voice America Business Channel website, uh, my page on that website, so go there and read more about Glenn. Don't want to take more time because we're too cramped for for time as it is. So welcome, Glenn. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Jay, for having me back. Really good to have you. Now, I want to ask you about some things. Uh, you know, we could talk about what the chit-chat about Washington, but I'd like to get down to some of what I think are, are some of the most important things happening in the world right now. One is uh, a headline from the Financial Times this past Friday, U.S. attacks the U.K. over China's stance. The U.K. Uh, put some capital, apparently, into an Asian infrastructure investment bank, and the United States didn't like that very much. And then I read, Glenn, uh, even today, uh, that, in fact, France, Germany, and Italy seem to be joining in and also contributing some capital to that institution that is viewed by many uh, to be perhaps a, a competition for the Anglo-American uh, empire's banking structure. What, 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 do you, what do you make of this? Is this uh, important news to you? Well, I think it is, Jay, along with a lot of other things. It's another sign that the post-World War II financial architecture that was set up you know, included the Bretton Woods Agreement, uh, the, the currency pegs, which are now long since gone, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank. All of that is fraying at the edges. And one of the things that, that was indicative of all of those institutions is the United States was and is and has been a central player and, 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 and one of the, the, the dominant player, let me put it that way, the dominant player in all of those institutions, and that seems to be uh, coming to an end writ large. And this particular news item that you just cited indicates that uh, we've had people that have been post-World War II allies in a very close way that seem to have at least be hedging their bets. So that, that ought to have everybody's attention, I think. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, Glenn, it was... Uh... Richard Nixon, who unilaterally decided, uh, you know, that he, that he wasn't going to allow the dollar to be attached with gold when de Gaulle uh, and other countries, but I think primarily France, was saying, give us back, give us the real money, don't give us your junk uh, created out of nothing dollars, give us gold. And so the gold started leaving the coffers of the United States, and Nixon said, well, no, uh, hell with you, de Gaulle, we're going to just stop giving you gold, and so the United States unilaterally set up this post-Bretton Woods scenario, which I think has been an absolute disaster. What do you think? Well, it's interesting. Is it, Perversely, when, when Nixon unpegged the gold uh, to gold to, to the U.S. dollar, at least, it, and of course, but that was the last peg, official government peg, where foreign central banks could come and exchange their dollars for, for U.S. gold. When they did that, that also... That also removed the limits of for all kinds of borrowing here in the United States, not only by the United States government, but by uh, all kinds of private institutions, individuals, and, and firms as well. Sure, uh, sure. Because most money is created through the commercial banking system. That's what the fractional reserve banking system is all about. So most months, so it, it, it unhinged uh, the, the 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 quantity of money. 
uh, from that could be produced through that system uh, from obviously that that hard peg with gold. Perversely, I think part of the reason why we're having elements of deflation now or, or the urge to delever is because so much of that the the dollars that are out there unlike zimbabwe or someplace like that they are debt-based dollars they were exactly. lent into existence to the commercial banking system so you've got everybody the whole world all these dollars means that somebody's on the other side which means that the whole world is perversely short dollars so exactly. when you start having de- deleveraging impulses there's a tremendous demand for dollars to meet uh liquidation uh, pressures so that's partly why we say I think why we see the U.S. dollar surging so much here this year, uh, and 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 you know why so many people are scratching their heads where they thought they'd see a lot of inflation by now, a lot of headline inflation. They're not seeing it, and we're seeing even in, in the face of negative interest rates. Yeah, well, there's no question about that, Glenn. I think you've nailed it in terms of the the uh, the fundamentals or the let's say the technical aspects of why the dollar is stronger because it was the largest short position, and now when the system can no longer uh, pay for itself, that is when the debt becomes too great for the cash flow in the system to service that debt, it has to go into reverse, and when it does. Well, guess where the demand is, where you have to sell stuff and buy dollars to repay the, the margin clerk, essentially, right? Right. Well, that's the, the old joke is that, that all debt will eventually be paid. The only question is, is it paid by the borrower or is it paid by the creditor in the form of default? Yes. And we started to see in 2008, 2009, a really violent deleveraging and started seeing at that point we saw uh, central bankers and central government, sovereign government step up and backstop everything to try to re in, to reinstate confidence into the system, and that worked. It worked, frankly, better than I thought that it would. But what they didn't do was when with, when the governments and central banks took it, stirred it up and, and became the borrowers of last resort, kind of keep the leverage game going. They didn't. They couldn't ultimately. They made re- reinstated confidence, but they couldn't change the laws of mathematics. And now, just as you indicated. Uh, the world economy is really just saturated with debt. And even at not only no interest rates, in some cases negative interest rates, people can't produce enough stuff just to pay the principal. And so we start seeing the great unhinging begin. And the really scary thing is that, that obviously uh, the, the, the way the money supply grows under our current system is that, that new money is lent into existence. And where does the money come for, come from to pay the interest on the money that had previously been borrowed into existence, somebody else has to borrow more into existence. And when you reach right. the end of that process, that's what you start getting into what like Ludwig von Mises called the crack-up boom, or on the other side of the ideological scale, somebody like Hyman Minsky referred to as the Minsky moment. And right. that's when you start, that, ultimately, you, you, could, you could get into a, a really hyperinflationary scenario, but that comes really not as an inflationary event like a 1970s event, but it really comes as a crisis of confidence. And people think, hey, these central bankers, central planners, uh, custodians of money don't have any idea what they're doing. I want to convert my stuff, or rather my my little green pieces of paper with dead presidents or electronic pulses in these banks into into stuff uh, to protect myself because I think everything is going up. And that's the crack-up boom that that, uh, Von Mises talked about. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you have the crisis of confidence. It's the confidence in the dollar, essentially. And right now, Glenn, the way I see it, here's what I see, and you tell me whether you agree or disagree or maybe have a different perspective, but what I see is there are two two ways that the dollar has to be maintained. There are two two essentials. One is that people have to believe that the dollar is as good or better than gold. That's number one. Number two is that there has to be a bid under the dollar. Uh, Henry Kissinger went off after Nixon took us took detached gold from the dollar. Went off and worked a deal with the uh, with the Saudi Arabians uh, to ensure that dollar that gold excuse me that oil transactions would be paid for in dollars, thus providing a bid under the dollar uh, for, uh, for, you know, that there would be a bid under the dollar because if everybody had to use oil, uh, dollars to buy their oil, then, uh, then that would prevent, you know, that would give the dollar some value. Uh, and we've had people on my radio show like John Perkins, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, a lot of other people. I think Rickards would agree with this that part of the idea is that you have to keep the military industrial complex has to be out there to ensure control of the oil markets. Do you think there's anything, would you agree or disagree with that thesis? That well, those the, are two things evidence, that have to be The maintained. evidence seems to suggest that there's something to it. Obviously, if you, the, you take a look at the countries where the United States has been involved in the Middle East, uh, they all uh, had one thing in common, and, and this may not be the only, uh, it certainly probably is not the only reason why the U.S. has had the involvement in the Middle East, but, but many of those countries have begun discussing uh, either conducting oil transactions in something other than the dollar or or standing up some sort of competing your uh, currency. And you know, Mr. Gaddafi, who went from being a pariah to being an ally of the United States, you don't have to go back very far. You can find pictures of Mr. Gaddafi and Mr. Obama together. Then suddenly mm-hmm. he became a pariah again. and talked about establishing a gold-backed African dinar, and right. he was he was liberated, quote unquote. And one of the first things we did before, well, while the shooting was still going on, was to help the rebels, which did not yet control the country, set up a Western-style uh, central bank. Uh, and and I think the gold that existed there in the country was taken for safekeeping someplace else. So you, you start seeing that, and that seems to indicate that there is some relationship between the effort to preserve dollar hegemony and military activity in that part of the world. What is your, uh, your boss's view with respect to the U.S.-Russian relations right now? Could you talk about that possibly? Well, uh, that, there is, that the, the mainstream media's narrative is, is woefully inadequate at best, or it is wrong at worst. And that, that the United States and the European allies, and now don't get me wrong, Vladimir Putin is no day at the beach, and people that try to paint him as being a sort of a democratic, a small d democratic alternative to uh, less than democratic institutions of the West are probably misleading themselves and, and deluding mm-hmm. themselves because Mr. Sure. Putin is, is, a, is a real tough customer and is no friend of, of, of liberty and democracy and freedom. That being mm-hmm. said, uh, that, that in the aftermath of the Iron Curtain coming down, uh, assurances were made first by President Bush I and then by President Clinton that NATO wouldn't expand eastward, and that's exactly what it proceeded to do over and over and over again right up to the Russian border. And then, of course, Miss Victoria Nuland uh, was famously caught on tape uh, and and both here at the United States, talking at, at the National Press Club, saying about the five billion dollars the United States had spent to 
try to format revolution in the Ukraine to overthrow a corrupt but democratically elected government. And, and, and when people that then, and then of course the Russians reacted through proxies. And so people that thought that Mr. Putin was not going to react when the West tried to involved itself on a country right on its border, which included its only warm water port, were naive at best and, and perhaps complicit in something else worse at worst. So, so the, the, the whole narrative with Russia right now is, is wrong, but the, bit, the number one thing he thinks beyond that is that the situation uh, in the world as a consequence is far more dangerous than most people realize, and it's far more dangerous than than is being reported on the nightly news and that the notion that the United States is sort of the, the cop on the beat needs to go over and clean up some mess that, that we presumably had no hand in, even though we probably do have something of a hand in it. But the idea that, 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 that we're not going to, we're going to be poking the Russian bear, the nuclear armed Russian bear is far more dangerous than most people realize. And thus the world situation is far more fragile and dangerous than most realize. Well, I'm afraid he's right about that. A uh, few minutes left here yet. Uh, four minutes, my engineer is telling me. Uh, my friend David Jensen sent out uh, to his uh, a list of his friends a message noting that, uh, quote, an interview with Russian Deputy uh, Ivanji Fedov, Fedorov alleged that uh, the Nemtov assassination was a failed maiden-style trigger event to bring chaos to Russia. If Fedorov's allegations are believed in Russian government circles, it would seem reasonable for Putin to disappear from sight for 10 days after such an event while the situation was assessed uh, as he has, in fact, uh, or he, as he had, in fact, uh, disappeared. Um, the troubling statement by Fedorov is that there will be coup attempts after coup attempts now in an effort to bring down Russia. If this allegation of U.S. provocation with uh, the Soros style color revolution in Russia is true and visible, perhaps it is a triggering event of the European nations to start migrating to align themselves with the BRICS axis, uh, end of quote. Now, that all seems to make some sense to me. Uh, you know, we were mentioning a little while ago about how France and Germany and Italy are joining uh, England now. I mean, these are considered to be some of our closest allies uh, in uh, in setting up that financial institution in China. And also, though, you know, I, I find it very interesting. We, we were talking a moment ago, you were talking about how the countries that choose not to use uh, U.S. dollars in trade and especially in oil trade are considered rogue nations. Well, now we have countries like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, those kinds of countries have made agreements with China to avoid U.S. dollars in their trade as well. Uh, do you think that perhaps the big bully, the United States bully, is now starting to scare some of its children away, perhaps? Well, Jay, I, I, without commenting on all your characterizations there, I think that there clearly the United States has been involved in, in a number of these so-called color revolutions around the world. So the Russians, whether they're paranoid or it's real, they suspect that we've seen this before, and now we're seeing it here again. And there's a, there's a belief that that there's a desire to break the Russian Federation up as a way to, uh, in a Zabrigniew Zabrinsky style uh, hegemonic kind of move, want to want to keep the United States 
uh, is the, the unipolar superpower in the world. The problem, I think, with the, with the Europeans is that they are bearing the brunt right now mm-hmm. of the, 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 the difficulty associated with the sanctions. And the European economy is really in worse shape, a lot worse shape, than our economy is right now. So right. they are bearing the brunt of, of these sanctions, and they... There seems to be a larger and larger element over there saying no mas. And again, this is indicative of that post-World War II architecture that's been, we've known since 1945 or so, breaking up into something new and, and, and something we can't really yet anticipate. Yeah, indeed. And it's, uh, from my viewpoint, um, uh, it's very parasitic. And whilst I'm an American and may have benefited from it indirectly, uh, it is just wrong, and ultimately, Pinocchio's nose is out there for everybody to see, and it seems to me more and more people are starting to realize that they've been ripped off by a dollar that has absolutely no value, but is uh, perceived to have value thanks to the con artistry of our country. Well, Glenn, we're out of time. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's, it's really always a pleasure uh, having you on. We'll look to do it again sometime soon. Thank you for all you do, Jay. Thank you. Well, next week, folks, uh, I'll be talking to the CEO of a company that I have. It's my largest position, Novo Resources. Quinton Henning will be with us to talk about what could be a massive new discovery uh, in Australia. And John Rubino of DollarCollapse.com will also be with me. John always has some very important insights as to what's going on in the gold markets, the financial markets as a whole, so you won't want to miss next week's show. I want to thank our sponsors again, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, and all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. And God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. 